Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Today is going to be a fabulous day because it is the day that you are going to believe something wonderful is about to happen in your life. Stop chasing validation and worthiness. You are worthy just being alive right there. Something wonderful just happened in awareness that you are not only alive, but you are worthy in today's world. Almost like you're essential. You don't need to hear it from us, but you are definitely essential here at The Crude Life. But I know, you know, you are essential to you. Now let's get this Tuesday going, folks. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. It is Tuesday, folks, and it is a gorgeous day no, here it's beautiful, in the Dakotas. Sunny. My goodness, it's supposed to reach 42 degrees today. Oh, well, that'll be awesome after it snowed five inches last night. <laughs> oh, did it again? I, yeah, oh, it snowed. Goodness. I think we got three to five inches. I yet. haven't looked outside yet. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> got to open the drapes here and <laughs> take a look outside. But anyways, folks, welcome here. We've got a fantastic program on our constant, constant. news Never gathering ending. and all-around-the-clock coverage of Weld County, Wyoming. <laughs> You will, got something new? Will Weld count? Well, you got to stay stay tuned okay. for the Newsmaker interview on our Swan Energy phone lines where Colorado State Senator John Cook joins the program. Should be interesting. This guy's always fun. Yeah. He's, he's a former sheriff. Okay. Does not care about his opinion overtaking yours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's very much... Uh, he's a sheriff and yeah, yep. So yeah, definitely used to... Uh, being in charge. De- definitely. Right? Yeah. He knows how to command a room yeah. with his voice. So I'll be really curious what he thinks about this secession talk in Weld County. My guess is, my guess is, just because uh, I know him, is that he's a lot like me when it comes to, it'll never happen, but it might. It might. And <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to enable this because I'd like to see it. Hey, you <laughs> I know, feeling he's in the same boat. Yeah. It's just the kind of, well, I don't, I just kind of want to watch and see what happens, you know? Part of me wants to just for the history lesson. I, I want to see this. Okay. We talked yesterday or somebody talked yesterday about. <laughs> there was talking about yesterday. About North and South Dakota combining into yeah, one. Yeah. New Dakota. Uh, New Dakota. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just said Dakota. Yeah. Right. Which is better. So. That would be cool because you'd have to redrop the map, this and that. And I think if we just slid Guam <laughs> a little, up, up a into north. the U.S. and say, forget calling it a territory. Yeah. Okay, Guam's been around my whole life. Yeah, okay. since the 40s, I think. Right, since World right. War II. Okay, yeah. not this Virgin Islands and St. Michael's, which is new. Right. Okay, we took that over later. Canaries, Falcons, whatever. I forget that we actually have quite a little island empire. I was going to say, our our flag should be probably updated to like 60 stars no by now. Yeah. Because we do send them money. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we have a military base there or not, but I'm fairly probably. certain Guam is very American. Oh, yeah. Guam is, okay. is number one So if we base. combine the Dakotas. Naval base, yeah. Okay, then, God, we, would we have a million people? We would. We would. Okay. 
That was a little joke yeah. on both Dakotas. <laughs> well, for we were like half a million for a long when time. When I first moved yeah. to this state, it was under a million for the entire state. Oh, easily under a million. Yeah. No, we're like Wyoming, Alaska. Mm-hmm. We're, we're under a million all the time. So if we decline, uh, combine the Dakotas and slid Guam in... So Guam could be kind of our uh, seaport. Well, <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to rebrand the entire United States right. here. So I don't know. It might be a good idea you right now. You the flag, you know, you're going to get some problems. Sure. Okay. You redraw, you know, Rand McNally na- map, no big deal. You know what I'm wondering is... You take what? out that east-west horizontal line, right. you know, you just for give Dakotas. A little, give a little bump. You put a little wang into Wyoming, mm-hmm. the Wyoming wang for Weld County. Yep. Well, Florida. They call it yeah. America's wang. Right? That's right. Yep. That's right. That's right. Not Ann Wang. Right. No. The founder of Wang Computers. No. Not her. No, not no. her. Wang no. as in penis. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you bridged that for me. <laughs> one of us has to be the straight man here. I'm not sure which one is. So what I'd like to see, you know, because like you said, it'd have a wang, right? Yep. Right? Okay. Wyoming's wang. What if going forward, you didn't have to be geographically attached? What if parts of North Dakota... Wanted a song called "Detachable Penis" from the nineties. Oh, you're still you're stuck on this. Is that what you're talking no, about? No, man, I'm talking about. I'm talking serious, right? Okay, here. let's get okay. back there. Okay, <laughs> all right. What if a county, let's say the Bakken area, in North Dakota, wanted to secede to Texas? Oh, right, because that's actual real talk. Right. Well, I'm just saying, like, we no, don't, okay. no, we don't really need geographic borders anymore. So you can kind of draw, like, that's what made me think of it when you said we can draw a map any way we want. No one really cares. Is that, sure, you could have Texas be part of North Dakota, or, or part of Texas would be where part of North Dakota was. You know, you could have the states, maybe that's the way, instead of a civil war or breaking up in secession. My mind's going a lot of different areas. Yeah. None of them good, I'm sure. No, oh, no, none of them are good. <laughs> nope. There's not one state, county, city, or federal government that wants to hear any idea that's about ready to come out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm thinking we should, we, we should make a map. And redraw mm. one ourselves. That's a great idea. Because we joked a few weeks ago, because remember, I was in Oklahoma and Texas where yeah. they had real life, let's succeed, conversations yeah. with hundreds of people. Okay, this was an impromptu discussion amongst a group of rabble rousers that were saying, let's do it. Seems like well, perennial. Well, you know? county wants to. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we draw Wyoming's wang, okay? We put that in there and give Weld County the wang. Give them the wang. And I, I know. I think that's that's a term that's going to move forward. And then we can <laughs> then we can move that border. It's going to linger. Move it along San Diego, move along Arizona, and then up around Texas. Because well, remember, Texas wants to move that border north. Yep. They, they want to get out of America now, <laughs> and they don't want to be in Mexico. Texas wants to be by themselves. Mm-hmm. Because they've got their grid, they've got their energy, they got everything. They're ready to go themselves. <laughs> they just and, need a moat. And they'd be fine. <laughs> and they got enough guns to have their own private military and army, and they got the Rangers. When I lived in California back in the nineties, there was always talk I about might move down splitting there it up into three different states. Or, you know, the California could become three different states. Sure. You know that you would have a state that would be much more conservative, and you now have, you're now you're just making me go in a new direction, which is California, New York. They can be their own right country if they don't want any pennsylvania natural gas okay start (laughs) man i'll tell you china and russia must be laughing their ass off watching this kind of stuff go on well i am yeah so they you know they are well they're the ones they're the ones instigating it i'm the one reacting i'm sure man i i i have reacted to the point where i'm in absolute lunacy because yeah only way to look at it yeah because if you try to care 
you'll be so mad. Yeah. <laughs> you'll you, be so mad. You've got to have, it's like, that's the, you have to have a, a humor. You have to have a sense of humor with this. I got an email sent to me today. Okay. About Joe Biden lifting an executive order that Donald Trump had did that stopped China from having influence on our electrical grid. Okay. I mean, these are the types of emails I get all the mm-hmm. time. And this one actually has links to the actual executive order. So now what I have to do is I got to vet that out mm-hmm. to see, okay, how much of this is real and how much of this is just, you know, they see two lines and they turn it into the whole story, yeah. right? Or just make it up out of whole cloth, man. <laughs> and you hope it's made up because the problem is, is that if it is real, well, how do you now educate people on this yeah see i'm glad you're the journalist you see what i mean i can avoid the doom scrolling well and what it boils down to is that basically trump said no more buying um electrical or anything that america had issue with they were they wanted to be totally independent so any food do we uh, share any kind of grid with china that doesn't seem likely that with these new uh grid type monitor systems they're made in china and therefore the manufacturing Uh, and the uh management company it's actually the management company Mm -hmm. is out of china so the chinese management company would be overseeing the American grid. Yeah, I am definitely a big believer in anything that is part of national security or infrastructure made in the friggin' USA. Now, right, for those reasons, yeah. it's when you're putting little yeah. microchips in there exactly. that you can control from yeah. Elon Musk money, uh, Tesla, mm-hmm. okay? So anyway, I, I'm, I'm looking at that, and it's hard because I'm sure one thing didn't have anything to do with the other. But it makes you look at it like, well, if this happens again, I don't want to have to call a 1-900 number in China to get <laughs> Shoot, dude, you service. probably already have to do that, call in your local power company. No, I want it to go to India like right. I'm used to. <laughs> like an American. Like I an American. To- <laughs> I'm not, I, like I'm used to, man. When I, when you I don't even get to- people anymore. It's a, it's a decision tree, AI. When I pull up to McDonald's, I want to know that my order goes to Qatar and then back to Seattle, Washington, <laughs> and then to the person that's making my food right there. Did you hear that McDonald's is starting a pilot program now where they're using a um, low-level AI to do the drive-thru? Oh, you can't get into that. Dude, it'll oh, be robots, man. Much. All right, so let's preview the show here really quickly before we get off the deep end. Kate Hornbrook coming up in the next segment talking about that event. They have that Mardi Gras event. Not a Mardi Gras. We're past that. Yeah, man. that got shut it's, down. Uh, because of the storm, I think. It's uh, Yeah, right. So they're doing the, the St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. The St. Patrick's that Day. That looks like fun. Happy hour. It's a happy hour. Mm-hmm. Happy and four hours, it sounds like. They're doing it, too. And what's nice about these things, and I'm going to bring this up to her, is that um, the day crowd, it's kind of the same faces. You know, it's a, the same people for mm-hmm. the lunch crowd. So the night ones are nice because some of the guys in the field can come in. Sure. And yeah. so you get you get a kind of a different energy, a different vibe. That's probably what you want, right? You want the mix. Yeah, you, you want, want a mix. Yeah, you want yeah. the mix. Well, because the day people, they're the ones, you know, that kind of do the boring work, right? And the guys out in the field are doing the fun stuff. <laughs> or vice versa, depending right. on how you look at yeah. it. So I think just everybody could use a party right now, man. And that's, I think, what's going to end up happening is people are going to really enjoy getting out and just yeah. kind of seeing some. And you're heading down there next week or the week after? Next week. Next week. Next week, we're yeah. going down for the Pipeliners Association, the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners. They've got a cook-off. More good food. They've got a VIP area at this cook-off. 
Okay. Like a secret, ultra secret VIP area. I, I bet I bet they even call it the VIP area. The <laughs> VI the, the VIP VIP area. The v- <laughs> okay. And well nowadays these operators mm-hmm. uh because remember the operators is where all the business starts. Okay. I saw a sponsorship so, for that, I think, so right? These people are like idolized. Yeah. Like, you know, like like uh, that gets you in the tent, I think, if you do the top sponsor for that. These people are like Luke Perry, man. Luke Perry walking into a shopping mall in 1995. Hello. You like that? Yeah. Like a Chandler Bing in 1999. You just made us both sound really old. They're like <laughs> Justin Bieber. Uh, yeah. Ju- the, the, I think even he's matured now, man. We're going to have to find... 2010, <laughs> going through my... Yeah, all history. my references are at least a decade old. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I tried to do a... Uh, who's the face tattoo guy? Which one? Post Malone. Oh, Post Tried Malone. Tried to drop Post Malone the other day. How'd that Your go? Your old dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tyga, who's that? Okay. <laughs> Apparently I'm way... Maybe. I felt cool when I found out Tyga was with a Y. Uh, I had no idea. I, I just thought it was the word Tiger. I thought it was a spinoff of Tiger King. But... Oh, see, I was thinking Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, but okay. Oh, yeah. That's fun too. All right. So what else do we have coming? News coming up. Colorado State Senator John Cook. And, oh, March Madness. March Madness. Man, March we got a Madness, lot of folks. interviews lined up this week. Send us an email if you'd like to be in the March Madness pool this year. Hopefully, the teams will play so we don't have to roll Yeah, I keep, I keep thinking that we're going to be setting up and doing this huge thing like we did last year, but we're going to be able to kick back this year, hopefully. I think this year it would be too painful to do. <laughs> it would be way too painful. No, but. I'm just glad there's actually going to be some basketball. So I was looking at this old list it's not an old list but something you know we get these news service things that come across Mm. and and i like to do something fun every now and then and this one was kind of neat it was the 10 candy bars you'll never eat again and (laughs) because they're bad (laughs) it must be because easter's coming up okay yeah and uh lent and you know lent season and just normally i only see these around um holidays yeah halloween Halloween, yeah Yeah. but i thought this was kind of interesting because i'd never heard of any of these, really. Um, the air mail bar. You ever hear of the air mail bar? Air mail bar. Introduced in 1930 to honor the first air mail flight in the United States. Huh. In 1918, from Washington, D.C. to New York City. Ironically, the first flight never made it to New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how American. Mission accomplished, right. baby. <laughs> Never making it back wouldn't have surprised me either. Get on your feet. All right. After takeoff, the pilot noticed someone had forgotten to fill the fuel tank. Yeah, oops. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is why we have checklists <laughs> and process One, stocks. This dude's just, he's just, you know. Being yeah, all, man, we got the mail. It's cool. He's just being all cool. To the well, women. dude, he's people like, weren't hey, flying a lot. I gotta, I gotta fill that tank. That's, <laughs> That's before they knew I fuel was critical to fly. Women. <laughs> That'd be you. Well, back in the 1930s, man, oil and gas. You were the you were the cock of the walk, oh, man. Dude, Look at were, all the movies. We yeah. we went through that last yeah. week. All the movies about the uh, Wildcats, about oil and, the, and gas yep. was cool till about 1970, 80, and then yeah. they started becoming. It's amazing how that flipped, just, just like a switch, just. It's Oil like, man bad. It's almost like social engineering is real. Huh. Almost like that, huh? Ironically, the first flight never made it to New York because after takeoff, the pilot noticed someone had forgotten to fill the fuel tank. Oops. Then he got lost over Maryland and landed in a cow pasture. Come on, people. Man. Are you for real? The airmail candy times. bar had similar fate. 
That would have been fun to be a reporter back in those days for the airmail <laughs> candy bar to all the way down to the cow pasture. I well, mean, you know, back then in the early days of flight, there had to have been those people that be like, ah, it's never going to catch on. Totally. You know, so they would have jumped all over that story. Oh, you've always got Debbie Downers everywhere. And I've always said this, you know, because I, I would have been the guy. I would have been the guy. Which that guy? That said, okay, let's say you're in, you know, some boardroom of John Deere. John Deere. And somebody floated the idea, hey, let's put our logo on a shirt and then sell it to people. Yeah. Let's have people pay us to advertise our logo. Laughed I, you out of the room, man. I would have been the guy that stood up and said, I don't think anybody will pay us to advertise for us. All right. And I would have been so wrong, and I should have been fired. And I, I mean, <laughs> right? Because I, I would have costed that company millions and millions of well, dollars. Well, you know, you wonder, though. It's just like one of the reasons a company like John Deere can do that is because it has, you know, a hundred-year brand. That's why. Right? Yeah, so, I mean, it's why. like, how, how soon in there early could you have done that? But, but right, and there was a time where nobody did that. No, nobody. No, nobody, but somebody had to be the first. Yep. And so, would I have been the guy that said, hey, let's put our logo on that shirt, or would I have been the guy that said no? Because I would have been both. Yeah. There's, been, there's, there's many times in my life where I would have been the guy, hey, Let's figure out a way to convince people to pay us so they will, you know. Yeah, to, to and, advertise us everywhere they go. Right. Yeah. And on vice versa, yeah. I've had to be that conservative guy that just said, no, nobody's going to do that. Nut job. Now, around here, you turn around and you've seen about six John Deere hats. Well, every, you wherever know? you go everywhere. now. Yep. Fat Emma was the name of another <sighs> yes. candy bar that never will eat again. In the early 1920s, the Pendergast Candy Company in Minneapolis, introduced a car, I'm sorry, a candy bar with nougat, okay, at the center. Nougat. Oh, this is really interesting because I just skimmed ahead here. Uh Uh-oh. They planned to call it the Emma Bar, but wound up calling it the Fat Emma because it accidentally got too much egg white in the mixture and wound up twice as thick as expected. Ha! So the Emma Bar then was called the Fat the Emma Bar. Fat Emma Bar. Later, are you ready? Yeah. You ready? Oh, hit me. Frank Mars copied the idea to create the Milky Way. Boom. So there you go, folks. If you're Nikola Tesla and you come up with a great idea, Thomas Edison will push you out of the way and grab it. It's Betamax and VHS, Betamax, man. <laughs> VHS will push you out of the push way, you out man. Of the way. Because Sony's got the muscle. Well, and VHS is bigger, so it must be better. And this is kind of... And Xerox. Xerox at the time couldn't get behind the mouse. And so Apple Computer came in and... We'll do it. Reverse engineered the mouse. So that's all Fat Emma became was a reverse engineered Milky Way. I will never look at the Milky Way again. Yeah. I'm I'm just going to start calling them Fat Emma. Fat Emma. Damn right. From now on. Respect. All right, here's the next one. The Sal Laid Dand Bar. What? The name alone should kill that. The first candy bar named after a stripper. (laughs) Oh, it's Sally. Tell me more. Sally Rand, whose fan dance at the 1933 to 1934 Chicago's World Fair in shocked and titillated the nation. (laughs) Titillated. In the 1960s, another stripper bar was available briefly. The Gypsy Bar, named after Gypsy Lee Rose. I think a stripper bar would do very well in today's society. too, yes. The I mean, Je- it makes Jenna sense. Jameson, right? Right. Who <laughs> else is there? <laughs> well, see, I'm not up, but, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised more influencers don't have their own candy do bar Do not yet. think the Ron Jeremy would sell. 
Do not think that. I don't think there would be, including Ron Jeremy. I don't think he would buy it. In fact, we just picture an eight-inch candy bar, no. and it's disturbing. Oh my word! I never even thought of that. Okay, let's transition Please to the Red on. Grange bar. Oh man! Remember the uh, football player, Red Grange? Now, see, I don't. Who was he? Endorsed by Red Grange, the most popular football player of his day. Starring at the University of Illinois, he joined the Chicago Bears in 1925 and helped the National Football League in business. Okay, Unfortunately, so he couldn't do the same time. for his candy bar. So be like the Brett Favre ball, bar yeah, or the well, Tom yeah. Brady bar. I remember Doug Flutie in the late 90s had Flutie Flakes. I've got a box downstairs. Do you really? Yeah, in, in my uh, box of old collectibles. I've got a, I've got some uh, Scooby Snacks, Scooby Snacks, and Flutie Flakes. Flute. Now I'm checking eBay right now for Fat Emma's Washington Redskins Wheaties cover box. Too. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Maybe the Twins too. I can't remember. If yeah, I have you that. know what? Every house I inspect in this state has a 1987 th- Twins I, box. I think I got one with Wheaties. one house I got yep. one time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You're going to be entering Minnesota. Here's your Wheaties yeah. box with the Minnesota <laughs> Twins on it. It's like when look, you leave the state, please please leave it behind. Please leave it behind. It's like for the, the cable dish. Person. You know, yeah. you just leave it for the next owner. It's like catcher in the rye. <laughs> Everybody needs it just to get their sanity through Minnesota. Okay, the vegetable sandwich bar. Oh, my word. This Ooh. would actually do very well today. Yeah, today that'd be great. One of the weirdest health bars ever made. When? This 1920s vegetable oh. concoction Ugh. contained cabbage, celery, peppers, and tomatoes. Oh, my God. Its makers claimed it aided digestion and will not constipate. Yeah, because you vomited out. That'd be my guess. The funny thing is, is that I know a lot of people that pay like... 10 15 bucks for a juice of cabbage celery pepper tomato juice i love it though nowadays it'd be like kale and and spinach but you listen to the ingredients for it and it's 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 just meeting some or uh, missing roast beef it totally right. sounds like a meat and potatoes well honestly this sounds like v8 yeah remember that, the old yes v8, the v8 which was primarily just yeah smack your head could have had yep, a v8 could have had a v8 i haven't seen that's still around isn't it v8 yeah i've seen it at the stores i don't think i've actually had a glass of v8 for a while most of the places i go have tomato juice and clamato juice yeah so they, they do it up right. They don't have V8. Yeah. V8 was like the tang of Bloody Marys, you know? The high C. <laughs> the high C. The Hydrox. The Zep candy bar. Zep. Sky high quality. One of several candy bars that capitalized on the popularity of lighter than air I can, in the 1930s. can guess why this one went out <laughs> of uh, popularity. This one featured a sketch of the Graf Zeppelin on the wrapper was taken off the market after the Hindenburg exploded Ba-dum. in 1937. Oh, the humanity. This one I've never even heard of. The Chicken Dinner Bar. One of the best-selling bars you've never heard of. Okay, it's right the there in the, chicken the opening dinner sentence. Chicken Bar. Introduced in the 1920s and remained on the market for more than 50 years. What? The original wrapper... Pictured a roasted chicken on a dinner plate, a bizarre way of suggesting it was a nourishing meal and encouraged consumers to associate it with the prosperity of a chicken in every pot. Boy, this is some bold wow, marketing capitalism here, baby. I love this. Yeah, this okay. is great. Continuing, the manufacturer, the Spiri Candy Company, even dispatched a fleet of Model A trucks disguised as giant sheet metal chickens <laughs> to deliver the candy to stores. That's brilliant advertising. Several years after the bar's debut, Speary dropped the chicken from the wrapper but kept the name. 
This is a crazy man. And I love it. It's beautiful. I'm looking at pictures of this thing. Okay, I, 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 I'm not. I'm looking at the... I actually am holding No, paper. I'm looking it up now. This is brilliant. It's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing. When it comes to a new idea, instead of just taking an existing product and putting a clock on it, I love it when somebody comes out with something so new and bizarre. You got to turn your head twice and question their sanity. <laughs> that thing seems to be like it's perfect for the time, but it sounds like it went on for fifty years. So it was into the seventies when that thing got canceled. Finally. So what came first, the chicken, the chicken, or the vegetable bar, <laughs> the vegetable sandwich bar? <laughs> they were both in the nineteen twenties. Man, could you? The Spiri's like, if that vegetable bar can make it, yeah, chicken we can call can chicken dinner, it. right? Oh, all right. We've got a couple more here. The Big Hearted Al Bar. <laughs> George Williamson, owner of the Williamson Candy Company, was a good Democrat and good friend of New York Governor Al Smith, Democratic nominee for president in 1928. Smith lost in a landslide to Herbert Hoover. Boom. And the candy bar soon followed. <laughs> The Seven Up Candy Bar. They could have changed it to the Loser Bar. I've never heard of that. The Seven Up Candy Bar from Seven Up got its name from having seven connected pieces, each with a different center. The bar came out of the 1930s before the Seven Up Bottling Company began production of the soft drink. So So the the Trudeau Candy Company owned the trademark to the name. Eventually, Seven Up Bottling Company bought the bar and retired it. So they could have exclusive name rights. So there wouldn't be any confusion. So no matter how you spelled it, S-E-V-E-N up mm-hmm. or seven. seven. Remember, George uh-huh. Costanza, seven up. Because the seven up candy bar was this word. Right. Whereas the drink was the numer, number. And they didn't want any kind of, well, you got to, that's brand protection. That's what Trademark, it is. Trademark, man. That's what it, well, yep. seven up is still on their own, I believe. Oh, I think so. Well, uh, Coke dropped them, right? That was the deal. With It was either Sierra Mist or Sprite. And it might have been both, actually. Now, now I'll have to look. So 7-Up uh, basically tried to get bought out by Coke or Pepsi or both through mm. the years. Okay, and Nobody think, wanted them. And I think Dr. Pepper tried for a long time, too, but Pepsi eventually got them. Yeah. But no, Coke basically gave both of them the middle finger. <laughs> well... Look what happened to Oakley last year. Oakley gave the middle finger to somebody, and all of a sudden they got taken out of all the sunglasses huts. Yeah, that's right. So that's what ended up happening is that if you don't kiss the right ring, you lose your distribution. Man, I would not want to live in that world of of marketing where you're walking on eggshells. And if you lose your distribution, well, now you don't get the prime placement. So 7-Up's got to go slum it with Tahitian Treat (laughs) and RC Cola. Right, they were. I love up RC was, Cola, man. Seven and Seven Up's a lot harder to make. There's more to that shit than lemon and lime. I don't know. It's always it's I always tried, made my nose feel. I tried weird, squeezing dude. lemon and lime, and there's more Not to the it same. than that. No, some right. magic juice in there. We'll move on here to the It Bar. It, the number one female sex symbol. Ooh, ladies, you had me already. Of the silent movie era was Clara Bow, known as the It Girl. She had that special quality. The movie studios called It. In 1927, the McDonald's Candy Company. Boy, the 20s were a huge year for candy. Yeah, that was when it all happened, it looks like. In 1927, when did the Federal Reserve came out? Oh, no, I guess there was... Don't get sidetracked. I guess there was no um, um, coincidence there. In 1927, the McDonald's Candy Company of the Salt Lake City, of Salt Lake City, tried cashing in on her popularity 
with a candy bar featuring her face on the wrapper. It did well for a few years, but then disappeared along with Bo. She wasn't able to make the switch to talkies <laughs> because although she was lovely to look at, her Brooklyn accent made it impossible to listen. Ha! So the moment she talked, she became Rosie Perez. Right. And I could no longer listen to her. I had to turn the volume down to watch White Man Can't Jump. <laughs> well, there's some people like that where yeah. it's just, it's, and no offense, it's just their accent. It's just too tough. I think it's my ear, actually, that just like, you know, cringes. Here's a couple other ones that like didn't, didn't make the, uh, uh, they didn't have a paragraph after them. They just have the name also gone. The Betsy Ross Bar. Okay. The Lindy, named the, after Charles, Charles Lindbergh. Lindbergh. The Amos and Andy. Whoa. Oh yeah. Poor Prune. Oh, a prune. Oh, man, that, that oh. just sounds delicious. And Doctor's Orders. The candy bar. Do- <laughs> that's doctor's genius. Orders. Oh, now, see, that, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, folks, that's going to do it for the candy bars. But, by the way, I also want to mention Chewy Paws as our sponsor this week, as well as the Bakken Barbecue Tiffany Steiner, Jackie Jenkins, still coming up uh, this week, as well as who else? We have? Oh, Derek Clark. The yeah, that's president. a full. You have booked us a full week, my friend. Yeah, he's with the Epic uh, Solutions and the Permian Basin Pipeliners. Uh, they've got their cook-off coming up here. So we've got a full show. Frackleberry Hound is looking at the door. Kate Hornbrook is calling in. All right, got to take a break and catch my own sanity. <laughs> More we'll coffee. You. I feel all right. Well, I'm doing okay. I'm here for the moment, you know, and then I'm on my way. Like him and I said what I have to say. I just assume be on my way. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by The Bakken Barbecue. In 2013, The Bakken Barbecue was created as a collaborative effort to raise money within the community. This family-friendly event raises money to help make a difference within the communities in the Bakken Shale Place. Since their first year, The Bakken Barbecue has not only achieved their goal annually, but it's added to the list of positive impacts within the Bakken. For more information, visit their website, BakkenBBQ.org. That's BakkenBBQ.org. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... Chewy Paws. All-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z, dot com. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented 
to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Also, the acting president of the Oilfield Connections Midland chapter, right? It's the Midland chapter, not Permian, because you guys no, have two different chapters, right? It's the Permian chapter still. Oh, it is the Permian chapter. Okay, great. Okay, I apologize. I no, apologize. no, that's fine. Okay. And we are going to talk about the upcoming event happening Thursday evening. It is the kind of the first social. This is one of the offshoots of COVID, I guess. You know what? This is part of the evolution that's happening with events because it's really difficult. You know, a lot of people were, were trying different things, big pig roasts and concerts. And, you know, we tried doing the live broadcast and there's been golf events and some have gone on, some have canceled. We, you know, we had the Bakken barbecue last year. We did that and it was very successful. We raised $80,000, which was unbelievable. And, you know, there were other ones that canceled. And so we think it's really cool that you guys are trying something different because the lunches are going good and they almost seem like they're growing. People are really wanting to get out. And now that spring's happening, it only makes sense to try a new event in the evening and uh, just kind of put your toe out there a little bit and see if there's any interest to see if there's any budget, because <laughs> remember, I, I, you guys are charging, right, at the door? I imagine so. Yes, yes. I mean, you kind of have to when you're putting together large events, you know, that have a venue cost, a food cost, an alcohol cost. We have a DJ. You know, there's a lot of things that go into it, decorations. So, yeah, we're definitely charging, but we charge for our regular luncheons. And I think this event will definitely be larger than our regular luncheons and will draw a more unique crowd as well. Not only that is that also says it is a professional event and it does keep out the riffraff. So if somebody we like <laughs> you know somebody somebody like you or I were just there watching a game one night, we might go crash that party if it was free. You know, <laughs> if it's 10, 20, 50 bucks, no, we're not gonna. No, we'll spend that on our drinks and have fun that way. So anyway, but so this is a first one. Talk to me about uh, the event. Talk to me about how it came together and what the theme is, because I know that you love your themes. I do love my themes. You know, uh, with myself and, and Tiffany, Tiffany Wilson as the VP, you know, having two women leading the group, you definitely get a lot of theme parties, which there's nothing wrong with the theme parties. And costumes. But, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's going to be a St. Patrick's Day theme. Um, it's going to be from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. at La Hacienda Event Center in Midland. We're going to have a DJ. We're going to have it catered by Exquisite Catering. Um, there will be drink tickets. Unfortunately, we have to go the drink ticket route because of insurance for the group. So, um, But any drinks after that, you'll be able to purchase. Um, it should be a really fun event. I'm really looking forward to it. It is our first happy hour event, but I'm sure not the last. And you are going to be doing the lunches as well? 
Yes. So we'll still have our regular luncheons the the first Thursday of every month. We're not going to have a luncheon this month because of the happy hour. I think we may do, you know, intermittent happy hours within. So, you know, next month will definitely be a luncheon. I think the following month may be a happy hour. And then we have a, a luncheon event at a the oil and gas conference in June at the Horseshoe. Okay. Okay. That should be interesting. So yeah, we have a lot of a, a good few things on the docket, and I think we're planning on doing either a golf or a sporting clay event sometime in the summertime. But uh, you know, more information to come on that as we decide. And we'll definitely keep that story relevant here. We'll we'll be tracking that like it's the top news story of the day. Trust us here at the Crude <laughs> Life. Uh, I did want to ask you like the difference between the luncheon and the happy hour. Now I know the happy hour hasn't happened yet, but I know you, there's a certain way, you, you know, you, you visual, you visualize it, if you will. The luncheons, it's, it's pretty standard. You know, you, you, you do the pledge of allegiance, you do a prayer, you do kind of opening remarks, you bring on a speaker, you bring on a sponsor, you bring on, you know, maybe, maybe a couple news speaker type things. I know when I did the uh, industrial forest, it, I, I wasn't the main event like Brooks Landgraf, right? So you've got some, you know, some, some, what do we call them? Opening acts. So you got some opening acts, if you will. Uh, how is the happy hour going to go? Is it going to be similar to that or is it just going to be, hey, let's just chill? <laughs> well, it's definitely going to be more like, hey, let's just chill. We don't have any speakers. Um, I definitely wanted to be, I wanted to have the happy hour be more of an open networking event as that's, that's the main goal of OC overall. Um, Oilfield Connections is just to network, get out, meet people, because that's really, you know, if you need a job, if you need to, you know, if you're in sales, if you need, you know, pipe, whatever, you know, whatever you might need, that's the point of Oilfield Connections. So this won't be a typical meeting. I guess our luncheons are more of our meetings where we say, here, these are the things we have going on here. We're going to listen to a speaker. Um, here's a sponsor, et cetera, et cetera. We have, we have a great uh, a group of sponsors, and we're, we're actually going to have their, their information on a banner instead of having each of them come up and talk, um, which is fine, you know, and everybody was totally fine with that. But if, if you don't care, I'm going to plug the sponsors here real quick. Please so, do. That's why we're here. We're here to help you guys. No, seriously. That's so what we're a platform. So you guys can turn around and say, hey, look, sponsors, we just mentioned you on the Crude Life. So look at that. You got value now. See? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the point of sponsorship, you know, that their logos and stuff and are being advertised for all of the um, events plugs, et cetera, et cetera. So um, our sponsors for this event are Aries and Aries Residence Suites, Starcom, Sand Revolution, Think Tank Products, Safety Management Systems, and Tommy Chappelle Pumps. So shout out to our sponsors for this event. Uh, we really appreciate it. That's obviously how we run our business, how we run our events. We're nonprofit, so we do need sponsorships to help us create awesome events. I think I had a pair of Tommy Chappelle pumps back in junior high. They make basketball shoes, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they got the coolest name, Tommy Chappelle pumps. That just sounds well, awesome. The, that's the name of the guy that owns it. Right. Who I was actually in touch with. So yeah, no, he obviously has a, a pretty uh, great name for it, you know? 
Oh, it just flows off the tongue, actually. Just it's it's a very it's a great name, Tommy Chappelle Pumps. I mean it's just great. So anyway. That you know, <laughs> it's very easy to chant and just kind of go with the alliteration. It's just very cool. So, okay, now that we gave him a little extra sponsorship <laughs> plug there, Tommy Chappelle pumps, Tommy Chappelle pumps, because you know, we got to say it five times, otherwise, it doesn't work. <laughs> okay, so anyway, the other part I wanted to bring up because we like to be existential energy here at the crude life, we like to think differently, we like to take a step back. as the part I like about these socials, now listen, everybody gets into the drinking and everybody gets into let's have partying and have fun. And that's why we call this program Play Hard, Work Hard, because we understand the oil and gas industry does like to play hard, but they also like to work hard. And sometimes when we work hard, it gets a little difficult because, you know, it's, it's almost sterile. You know, it's almost too sterile. And the other part is it's a lot of the same faces. So when you have just a lunch and nothing else, generally it's the same people going to the same thing, talking about the same whatever, and then that's how you build your silos. What's nice about these these evening events, these socials, is the guys from the field can come in now, and there are new faces that you can network with, and pretty soon, you know, you know three people within an organization instead of just the same person type of a thing. So that, I don't know, I just wanted to point that out because I think that's an important part of this whole rebuilding of the new network that's happening in oil and gas. So what's your thoughts on that, Kate Hornbrook? So honestly, I, I agree. And uh, another reason we're doing the happy hour event is because you definitely draw a completely different crowd. To our luncheons, we don't typically draw a whole lot of operators, but to happy hours, you know, that start, you know, when everybody's done with work around five, you draw a lot more of the operators, a lot more field personnel, people that, you know, otherwise couldn't get back for a luncheon like many other people can. So what is the details of the evening? I don't even know if we went over that. By the way, folks, it's uh, Thursday, March 3rd and 4th. What day? Oh, geez, I don't even know what day it is going on. Okay, so let's let's rewind, folks. It is Thursday, March fourth. You take over from there if you wouldn't mind. From five p.m. to eight p.m. at La Hacienda Event Center in Midland. Now, where's that at? It's right off of one ninety one, in between Midland and Odessa, actually. Okay, and it's uh, there's a cover at the door. And you, you don't have to be an OCI, uh, Oil Field Connections International member, to come. But there are, will be, I imagine, someone there that can certainly talk to you about becoming a member? Yes, absolutely. So for um, the events, it's $25 if you're not a member, $20 if you are a member. To become a member, we have regular annual Memberships for an individual, it's $35. For corporate, it's $300. And you'll get five members of your organization as a member. And you'll also get your company logo on the OCI website. All right. Now, as we wrap up here, Kate Hornbrook talking about their oil field social happening. It's the Oil Field International Connections uh, Social. Oilfield Connections International. Boy, I dyslexed that. I apologize to everybody out there, but either way, it's, it's I'm, a, I'm halfway through this cup of coffee. So, anywho, um, your other job, your ACES completions. What's going on there? I just want to get a quick update before we let you get on with your day, your morning. But uh, what's what's happening on your side of things? So, I mean, we're definitely still picking up, um, which is promising. 
uh, I think with everything going on in the world and the implementation of new rules and, you know, uh, cutting of drilling permits on public land, uh, uh, the people in Texas right now are actually pretty safe because we mainly drill and frack on private land. So we've definitely seen an uptick in the oil price, which is definitely helping those of us that uh, drill and frack on private land. So, yes, everything's good at work. I don't think I have any uh, wonderful new updates outside of if you need some bulk frack chemicals, give me a call. But (laughs) that's about all I got. Well, I wish I was coming down Thursday, but I got some domestic duties I need to tend to. You know, I've got a child that I I have to... That I need a parent to, and his his mother, uh, she's a singer, and she, her uh, gigs have been picking up again. So uh, I could not arrange it, but I'll be down there the next week for the cookoff, the uh, Permian Basin Association uh, Pipeliners cookoff. So if you're going to be around for that, uh, I'd love to have you stop by there, and uh, we're going to talk with Derek Clark a little bit later about that as well, but uh, your event is happening Thursday, March 4th, and it's the Oilfield Connections International. It's their first happy hour social. Any final thoughts? That's all I got. Just appreciate you bringing me on as always. It was a bloody merry morning Blue eyes cried the rain the last train to Georgia standing in the rain I woke up on a diesel track outside of New Orleans My poncho left me and I didn't know what to sing Oh, Willie does it, it can't be bad If Willie does it, it can't be bad And if Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Crude Life with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. 
commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices. The solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know, when you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. He's back in studio now, and we're going to be doing our news here in just a second, but I did want to mention Swan Energy phone lines a little bit later on in the program. After this segment, actually, we're going to have Colorado State Senator John Cook talking about uh, whether Wyoming is going to absorb Weld County. The Weld County. Or if Weld County is going to succeed into Wyoming. Because remember, the governors are going back and forth. Yeah. What if what if it went reverse and like Wyoming decided to live in Weld County? What if Weld <laughs> County became Texas and said, F all y'all, we're just gonna be by ourselves. <laughs> we're just gonna be by they're a little landlocked for that. Secret man. number three. That's right. Don't we don't want what's in the box. Right. We don't want what's yeah. over there. We want what's behind We're curtain, making our own magic. Curtain man. number three on let's make a deal. <laughs> we never thought. See, we can mm. add that to the map. We, I, we're gonna do a new map. This is gonna be a good conversation. And we're gonna start with shale play. I think we should ask people what they think, right? I think we should too. I think maybe when you go down next week. Oh, that's a great. That would idea. be a great. You should work that into your. Uh, well, your too many people around here have got a stick up their ass. They're going to be like, "Oh, I don't want to talk about that." Down in Texas, oh, yeah. they'll give me business plans. Yeah, I was going to say up here, combining North <laughs> and South Dakota is oddly off-putting to most people I've met. You start talking about you know just screwing around, drawing new maps, succession plans. You might get some tears. Yeah, people. Somebody finally understands yeah, right? me. <laughs> I got to be careful. Come back with a whole new audience, man. <laughs> a hole in me. Okay, we'll see what happens there, but let's get to the news. The news. Well, you know, staying in Texas for a second and dealing with the aftermath here. Takes a long time to leave Texas. Man, Big that's state. true. <laughs> Texas Power Cooperative files for bankruptcy facing $2 billion bill. $2 billion bill for Is this storms. that gritty? Uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Texas' largest and oldest power cooperative, which supplies wholesale energy to 68 counties and an estimated 700,000 customers. That doesn't actually sound like that many in Texas. Filed for bankruptcy protection on Monday after it faced sudden bills worth more than $2 billion stemming from the catastrophic winter storms that rolled over the state throughout February. Brazos Electric Power Cooperative. Yeah. I saw they cut them off uh, this weekend. Because like, they didn't pay their bill. Yep. And so they didn't give them access. They did what we talked about in the first segment with the Chinese 
um, where, where the, the, the control the over control the grid. The control over the right? grid. Yeah, that's what yeah. they did do. Your they, secret they, nanobytes. They did the GameStop thing. Ha! They, they, the, the business daddy, at the end of the day, said to Gritty, you're gone. Well, the uh, bill. Clifton Carnelli, a company executive, said in a sworn declaration, quote, simply put, Brazos Electric suddenly finds itself caught in a liquidity trap that it cannot solve with its current balance sheet. Clifton Carnelli? Yeah, that was a real name, and that was a real quote. That is a great name. It's probably one of the only times Clifton works. Right, because Carnelli sounds like a detective. or Carnelli, get up here! Right? (laughs) Carnelli, that's a great name. Sounds like like a food you might have. I was thinking of like a 70s New York detective. Come on over this weekend for some Carnellis. So Brazos is one of many utility companies. Works as a bar, too. All kinds of different names. Okay, see if the website's available. All right, what else is going on? Uh, Keep going with the news. So amid this squeeze on the grid where customers desperately sought power to warm their homes as plant after plant failed, the state's grid operator, our beautiful ERCOT, or the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. ERGOT. Or what I keep calling EBCOT. raised EGOT. EGOT. Raised energy rates to more than $9,000 per megawatt hour to reflect demand. Again. Whoa. 500 times the usual rate. We 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 need the... The monkey on a unicycle spraying seltzer at this point. Okay? John Stewart said that one time. I forget if he was on Bill O'Reilly or Charlie Rose or Crossfire. Right. But one of the times when he was just going off about the responsibility of the media is that when a politician or a leader brings the conversation to Crazy Town, USA, yep. the reporter the on TV or the news person... He, he's like saying, you, you need to stop. You need to have something that breaks and stops to say, we need to address this issue. And he, and he goes, have a monkey with a unicycle sprained seltzer come in for crying out loud. It was something bizarre like that. Right, to clearly denote the end of news and the beginning of speculation. And so, what, okay, rewind that sentence with what you just said, because that's the story. Well, uh, the liquidity trap. Where, where, what you just said to where I, I just stopped you. Okay, yeah, they were raising the rates to more than $9,000. Yeah. That's where we need to address the policy. Okay, whether Texas is an independent grid or not, to me, that's no longer a conversation. Okay, we, we found out what happened. Natural gas came in, kicked some butt, yeah. saved the day because the day. coal and, and wind, I'm sorry, coal and uh, oil because of policy and the way that the the transitional infrastructure is done, could not power the grid. Mm -hmm. Solar and wind just couldn't because they're solar and wind. So natural gas had to come in and save the day. By the way, with pipelines, okay? Pipelines save the day also. Uh, But in a capitalism world where part of the free market still works, but it doesn't on the other part, okay, Meaning that coal and solar and wind and uh, uh, oil mm-hmm. didn't have the right policy in place in order to get them able to work in a crisis. Natural gas could. Okay? Yeah. So, boom, the rates go up. That's where the policy needs to say, okay, once it goes 100% past your bill, now it's on us. Yeah. It now should it's be. on us. Yeah, because clearly something's right. going on there that is statewide. But that is Jerry current, Jones yeah. should get paid too. That's the thing. I mean, he's he, he's the they guy. They did. They got real paid. I was going to say, they should get paid, and mm-hmm. those people shouldn't. The government is supposed to create the safety nets, right. not the accelerations. 
Okay. But in, is it the state government on this side? Because they're the ones that instituted a state Dude, network? I mean, what is it? state, county, federal, right. I don't know. But all I know is that all they do Because federal money is flowing into the state. They all day, and they've got technology they've invested billions of dollars with. I want an itemized receipt at the end of the day, at the end of the year, from my IRS, from my taxes, from my local. Okay, I want to know how much money I gave to Planned Parenthood. I want to know how much money I gave to that rich guy down the street. We should be in that world of technology, right? But we're not. Yeah, that kind of transparency these, is a no-brainer. It these guys, be. these guys, when they go to their meetings, mm-hmm. they just they 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 golf and they they. They have a great time drinking on someone else's dime. And then when the shit hits the fan, how many board members retired? I think it was seven the last time I Out loved. of 12? I, I don't know how many That's there are. That's what I'm saying to where when the shit hits the fan yeah. and there's actual real problems, yeah. none of them want anything to do with it. Well, yeah, exactly. And none of these guys are, are going to face any kind of real repercussions. In the meantime, the oil and gas workers are getting up, making sure that natural gas gets to the people who need heat. Yep. And then they're getting demonized saying, oh, they failed them. No, it saved their lives. The best I can tell where this really is going to come down is the preparedness, right? Is that you had icing up on pipelines. You had natural gas ice. You had basically, you just weren't winterized correctly, right? No, but the pipelines are underground. But I'm saying that that's what was happening is they had things that were freezing up and that was what was, was causing a bottleneck. And so we, we have that here in Dakota. Right. Every now and then when we get an ice storm, okay, when it... When it rains before it snows, our power lines snap. Yeah. So no matter what, you can have a hundred mile an hour wind, which we and get a <laughs> hundred degree below zero temperatures, yeah, which we have gotten close to, and you still cannot create a power line not to withstand the snapping of that. Okay. Yeah. So we've had a lot of practice, and we still can't get that right. Up no, here. I think I think so what we have power outages all the time up here. Exactly. So what they what's going on down there is more about trying to grab control over things at this point. Yeah, I think it's going to get reshuffled because it goes on to say that the state attorney general is that he's suing the electric power provider Gritty for charging customers huge bills. And as of Monday, there were still hundreds of thousands of Texans still faced with boil water advisories. You know what this reminds me of? This is nuts, man. Were you you living here when Blue Cross, Blue Shield went through their... um, debacle yeah where the ceo committed suicide yep okay because that's how that's how much of a debacle this was where the insurance rates were raising so high Mm -hmm. the board members were receiving a quarter million dollars and things like i mean they were they were receiving huge paychecks the board members Mm -hmm. so not the employees but the board members who were already all these rich people remember and then when the news broke, they were all on a Cayman Island vacation. Remember that? And yeah. it just made it even worse. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I think it was during the time even when all the rich Republicans were like riding public transportation. I was going to say it was during the, the, at the beginning of the Great Recession. So yeah, yeah there was like take public transportation. Right. And, you and know, so yeah. they would change. They were the, out celebrating. Yeah. And- they would change the, um, the you know the the Hugo Boss to a Sears label on the tie. <laughs> I don't know anybody. Right, a Hugo Boss. <laughs> I never checked. I guess I should have been who, looking. Who, whoever the rich Brooks Brothers. That's who I meant. The hell is Hugo Boss, man? <laughs> I still shop at Mervin's, and they've been closed <laughs> for twenty Hugo years. Boss even around anymore? I don't think did so, go, man. Did they go away with Jerbo jeans? <laughs> <laughs> still Oshkosh Bagoshin over here, man. Jordash, another good one. <laughs> Jordash. Oh, oh man, no, it, it just it reminds me of what the health insurance industry went through, where 
there was so much money going around that all of the good old boys were making so much money, nobody gave a shit about the people. Well, and so it when, always works. When man. problems happened, they just they turned their backs on. Them. That's because I think ninety nine percent of the time, like what was going on in Texas, it works, right? Yeah, Dude, when the times are good, nobody cares. Exactly. So, but we differ from Texas in the sense that you live up here, you have to acknowledge the weather, so they make preparations. In Texas, this was a surprise. This is considered to be one of the worst outages in U.S. history. We might find out that this might be one of the best things that ever happened to Texas. Well, it's certainly going to make them go, okay. Oh, it's yep, like an audit. We need to prepare. It's an audit that uh, you can't hide from. Well, it's like post-Katrina. You know, it's like looking at the the, the dams and the right. levees and stuff. That and collapsed. again, I'm going to be very clear. I have no problem with Jerry Jones getting paid his money on this. I don't have any problem with anybody getting rich. I have no problem. Just don't with, screw me out of getting with, rich. With that, that single mother not having to pay more than what is yeah. 100% of her bill. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like I said, once you double or whatever the maximum amount was you ever paid, Okay, that I okay, I, I can see that. It's you know, a little bit because hey, if you took a risk that you were gonna have the lower rates of all the time, okay, but there's still a safety there because at the end of the day, power company's a monopoly. Well, you remember up here a decade or so ago, propane shot through the roof yeah, because yeah. it was and it all came down to um trail or uh rail. rail. There just wasn't enough capacity. You know, so yeah, we expect to see those kind of swings, but the, some of the swings they saw in Minnesota and in Kansas, I think in Missouri, as a result of this too, you know, huge spikes, people are paying all of a sudden like five, $600 a unit for gas. We also had, uh, Matt Rose in the program. He didn't come on the air, but he gave us Matt Rose, the, uh, former chairman and CEO of BNSF Railway. Oh, uh, he gave my son and I. 10 minutes in the Holiday Inn pool room nice. after a conference. He didn't, he didn't do an interview. He was one of the couple Still. people that uh, said no to interviews with me. But, but uh, willing to talk. Yeah, he talked to me. And my, like I said, my son was there doing the kids in capitalism mm. thing. But he talked to me about the billions of dollars that they were investing in the rail mm. to accommodate the oil and gas industry. Oh, yeah. And so it, it doesn't surprise me that the pipeline thing is purely political because when you take a look at a lot of the politicians that are voting to get rid of the keystone pipeline they've got stock in bnsf yeah i mean that that's where i think we need to get back to taking a look at the leadership and going after the transparency of the leadership i think part of the problem is that we have too many lawyers in elected positions oh no no this (laughs) because they're able to find all those little loopholes and Right, right. We live in a day and age where politicians and lawyers are dictating our livelihoods. And now as we enter into a climate movement, which should be a totally sterile science-based argument, it's not. It's not. You've got attorneys and politicians dictating these types of policies. Almost every crisis in the country right now is too emotional to actually get attention, to get solved. a lot of the leaders are who can out-freak each other. Like, oh, look at me. I can can become more of a, a... of a, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, scaredy cat than you. Right. So we're going to do double masks in mm-hmm. our state. So you're going to do one mask? 
We're going to make sure you wear three masks, one on each ear and one on your nose. Or conversely, you might have a state that says it's illegal to wear a mask. And then you get the other side that says the big F you, which yeah. that's the state I'm yeah, going to. Exactly, oh, right. So. My libertarian roots. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next news story. All right, man, let's see here. So I thought you might... Did we solve Texas's problems? I don't think so, okay. but hey, this, is, this, this one has some potential, right? Okay. Energy and science news. This company helps roughnecks find renewable energy jobs. WorkRise placed 4,500 workers in green jobs last year, four times the amount in 2019. So happy sounding so far, right? I was going to say the propaganda machine is starting. Keep going. Okay. So it goes on to talk about a gentleman named Alfred Burt. Grew up following his father across oil patches in Texas. Opposite there, the very unfortunate name, Uh, Arthur Burt. Burt. Some interesting names we could say, though. Yeah. It's not as cool as the other guy. Yeah. Clifton. He carried on the family tradition working on rigs for 26 years until the pandemic crashed oil prices in April, and he lost a drilling job with Apache Corp that paid $1,600 a day. Such dramatic language. Go on. He wasn't sure what was next for him when he got a message from a recruiter with WorkRise, a staffing company. The scout wanted to know if the 46-year-old would consider a job in wind. Bert told him, no problem, I'd work at anything if it pays. He now spends his day running lines to raise or lower turbine blades, earning $20 an hour, or about as much in a month as he used to make in two days in the Permian Basin. Great pornography name, by the way. Work, work rise, work the rise. staffing company? <sighs> I was going to say Alfred Burt. Like, when, when you said <laughs> that, I go, that's a good porn work name. Rise. Yeah, you know, you definitely got, you got wang on the mind, man. <laughs> Stop it. Hey. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That, that, that didn't, didn't come work out, right. out my that advantage. Out. <laughs> so, like Bert, WorkRise used to be in the oil and gas business, but it's recently been moving more and more workers into renewable energy. Last year, almost 120,000 fossil fuel jobs were eliminated, making the reason for the company's pivot clear. But Bert's new job and his pay cut illustrate the challenges of the energy transition sweeping the world and the difficulties of finding good new jobs for laid-off roughnecks. This is, honest to God, this is more propaganda than reality um, because they're, they're looking for these types of stories, okay? And the, the reality is the jobs are not being added at a rate of what they're being lost. Yeah. Okay. That's the reality. So when they talk about the transition, it's a hard transition. Yeah, it's more of a but drop. They are controlling it. So it's not it's not a free market. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying this is all propaganda here. And and I, I want you to keep reading because there's a lot of people that are gonna have to do this. Yeah. There's a lot of people like I one guy, he on LinkedIn the other day, he lost it. I'm, I'm seeing more and more people, they're just losing it because they've been helping promote people. They've been looking for work. A year now, they've yeah. been out of work. And this one guy just lost it. He's like, I'm, I got to leave social media. I, I've been trying to help people. I've been trying to reach out and get a job through mm-hmm. social media. And for him, it's been a total time suck because he got nothing out of it. Yeah. He got yeah. nothing. Just because you spend 10 hours a day online trying to get yourself out there doesn't mean you're going to net anything. Well, it's just like, just because you get a thousand likes doesn't mean you yeah. got anything in business. Yeah. There's so many things on, on the internet that are like a zero value add. Without you know? a doubt. And I learned my lesson the hard way back in 2009 when I lost my business back mm-hmm. then. It was my publishing business, but it was because I invested a quarter million dollars in the internet 
and I literally did not even get five dollars back. Oh, well, nobody God. nobody was paying for anything back then. Yeah. There was no paywalls. There wasn't. Yeah. You you could barely even get any online advertising scrolls. You well, know in two thousand nine, I mean? the recession. You, you and know, you had that whole was, thing. Everybody was getting kicked in the in the balls. There. So everybody started flooding to uh, the online social media at that time mm-hmm. because it was free. Mm-hmm. Because it was free. Yep. So if you were a newspaper, you couldn't get anybody to give you money. Well, you know, for me, this is like now we've and transitioned. I was a magazine, so I was in the third world. Of well, media. yeah, you were in a, you were in. You, you, I call it the third world right? of media, yeah, because you you, <laughs> you were a dinosaur got, at that you point. Barely got the two thousand and nine. You're publishing paper products. Come oh, on, trying to go for marketing budgets, and you're in a magazine yeah. at that time. You're a monthly magazine at that time. Forget about. Oh man, it, you know, man. I grew up with Newsweek and Time as two of the most prestigious magazines. My dad would bring home every you know week and month, and it was like those are I think are gone completely print aren't they well and you know magazines they, actually Time. i think magazines are more suited for the internet than anything actually because uh what magazines brought because remember they were expensive yeah and they had a shelf life newspaper was in the trash i think they said it had a three-hour shelf life and then the newspaper was in the trash yep. or at the bottom of the bird cage or the fish wrap or the fish, fish wrap, wrap baby. factory yep. we used to call the <laughs> the, the fargo fulham the form the fulham the, forum. the fargo fulham we used to call it a fish wrap factory. Okay, so, but it's three it, hour shelf life. Yeah. But at the same time, they knew that. That's why it was sports scores and politics and whatever the day. Magazines, you wanted to stick around. So you would do thought provoking. Mm-hmm. So the Atlantic, the Harvard Review, the National Geographic. So, and you also wanted photos. So we, you know, we would do like a real estate. Yep. And so with the real estate, you'd have gorgeous homes on the cover. Mm-hmm. So better homes and garden. Yep. That was difficult for a newspaper. Okay. So the internet though, uh, allowed nice photos and they stayed around forever. You know what I miss about magazines though, is that whether it was political or, or national geographic is that it was considered. Mm-hmm. Right, it wasn't just a blast out like so much of the news that we get that's just clickbait. It was a you know you may not agree with it, it may not have been an interesting article, but it went through a process before it mm-hmm. got it to your eyes. Somebody did the work. Somebody did some work. It wasn't just some, it wasn't just slapped up. You know, some dude having a glass of wine, putting his posts up at night <laughs> and after work. That's you know? the problem. Ten years that's on after that recession, is now we're in the gig economy where everybody's having to hustle things on the side, and this is exactly like that. I mean, this company apparently. It works with Exxon. It works with General Electric for solar, but it's been putting more people in lower-paying jobs. Over forty-five hundred skilled workers transitioned to green jobs, and that's almost a third of all of the workers it positioned in any field in twenty twenty. I think what they're going to end up doing, honestly, let's do a little shale play profit here because I actually have a very good record with my predictions when it comes to the oil and gas industry, and. Like negative oil. Negative oil. So my prediction is has been this, which is the oil and gas industry, the transition is going to be a lot slower than people think. But It the, has to be. But the NIMBY, not in my backyard, is going to be ramped up. Okay, so you're going to have this almost like a smoke screen happen to where a lot of these oil companies are going to have the opportunity to get in the renewable business. Mm-hmm. Okay. In fact, I just read an article the other day that the ESG movement is nothing more than the new dot-com. Really? It's the new dot-com, yep, because it's all this free money out there, Mm -hmm. except the government now is your venture You're talking about the environmental social governance guidelines? Yeah. 
So the government is now your new venture capitalist. What was that company just recently you were talking to us about that that, that was something that they had as a certification? Oh, Meridian Energy Group. Yeah, yeah. Meridian they Energy. They had to do it. They had to they do had it. To. They had to In do order it. to get investors, they yeah. had to do it. And it's just like almost, you know. That, if I had, meaning that when you go have 10 meetings and all 10 people say, we'd love to give you money, but you but, need to be ESG yeah. certified, yeah. then you have to do it. Yeah. yeah I well, mean, the business, yeah. The, the market drives that, but the government's the one pushing that button. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt, because they're they're controlling the marketplace. So what I'm seeing here is exactly what the energy secretary said. And she flat out said, hey, oil and gas companies, Chevron and BP have already done it, mm-hmm. which is they are now in the renewable business. So if you guys want to stick around, get in the renewable business. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's, that's the direction it's going. It's the same thing Senator Kramer said, which is if things keep going the way it's going, we're going to oh. have three or four companies controlling the yeah. planet supply. So that, because if, if a lot of our drilling is going to be offshore, because we have a lot of offshore mm-hmm. drilling to do, and if nobody can see you do it, and there's no backyard drones that can catch you, well, that's a big part of it too. Sure. Well, yeah, if you can oh, see yeah, it. Oh, yeah, because now if you've got you know some mother that wants their daughter to be the next Aaron Brockovich against oil and gas, right? Okay. Or you give her a drone up. so right. that they can go go hover around. One of those counties in Colorado, you can shoot those things. I out read of the about sky. that. I read about that. Yep, that's the law. You can shoot some them politician out of the sky. was just all pissed off yep. at drones. Didn't and want got, any freaking passed, drones, right? man. I think so. I, I would have yep, voted yep. yay on that. I think it's a city ordinance. You can totally. shoot them out of the sky. It's so awesome. That's awesome. Anyway, yeah. So, but I, I think that's what's happening is that the government is forcing these oil and gas companies to get in the wind business, to get in the uh, solar business, to get in the geothermal business. And if they don't, well, they're going to become coal. They, if they're going to do it, and like you said, it's not going to be an easy transition. It's going to be more. It's going to be more like a trip and a fall transition. It's going to take some time, but but. Well, can you imagine transitioning from sixteen hundred a day, sixteen hundred dollars a day down to twenty dollars an hour? Here's what I'm going to tell every oil and gas company listening right now, is that I went through a paradigm shift in the media. Okay, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When you look at what a newspaper is, they were a 100-year monopoly <laughs> in most towns, okay? Yeah, they were an institution. But they, they had a monopoly. Like, they were the only newspaper, yeah. okay? They were, they were called order takers, meaning that they would just stand by the phone, people would call, and they would get put in orders. They didn't have salespeople that would go out. That was a later invention. For a long time, they just had people behind the desk. Yeah. And people would either walk down to the newspaper to put their ad in, or they would call on the phone. Well, you're the only game in town? Yeah. So every salesperson out there, imagine if you didn't even have to leave your office and everybody came to you. That's the best kind of business. And the newspaper industry had that for a long time. Mm. Okay. And then the internet came out. Yeah, and you see the struggle with that. Whole new distribution now. Because, and this is no shit, okay, the newspaper in Fargo, North Dakota had meetings with Time Magazine and Tide, the dish detergent, okay, because the newspaper carriers went door-to-door, just like the post office. Mm -hmm. But the post office charged you 50 cents or a dollar to mail that sample pack of Tide 
or that magazine of Time oh, magazine. Put it in with the the paper newspaper rate. would charge you six cents. Right. Yeah. Okay. You got so the news rate. This is no kidding. So that's how powerful yeah. the distribution of the newspaper was. That they actually were in competition with the U.S. Post Office. Now, see, I I think liked, about that. No, that's that's cool because I I think that. Now, uh, let me continue. Okay. okay. So. When you think about the power a newspaper had with a monopoly for a hundred years in any town USA, from Fergus Falls, Minnesota, <laughs> to Roswell, New Mexico, to I mean, that was seriously, a good one, I bet there, there's not there. Yeah. May, maybe there was some fly-by-night newspaper that was around for ten years, but when you take a look at a hundred years, it's primarily one newspaper. Okay, yeah. outside of Denver and Detroit and a few other big metro markets, in ten years after the internet came, most of them went bankrupt. Yeah, most of the small town ones they went are gone. bankrupt, or they, or and then joined, they got bought out yeah. by Rupert Murdoch, yeah, Sinclair, or, or whoever the you know Walt yeah. Disney evil empire guy is, the Mon- <laughs> whoever the Monty Burns is Monty. In, in the media world, you know, and so you had major consolidation. Mm-hmm. So that's what you have now. That'll happen in oil and gas if this continues. That's, if this conti- and that's what I see with this propaganda. So keep going. Sorry. No, that's that's the end of the article. Basically, they're talking about uh, how many people they've transitioned into it, you know, and then it goes on to talk about the company. It started in 2014, you know, and it's primarily just for work crews, but now it's gotten into... I didn't realize the U.S. oil jobs are down by a third since 2014. Yeah, I was just looking at that graph, too. For real? That is nuts. So that, that's, that, again, goes to automation, mm-hmm. goes to the changing of jobs, and it also goes to this transition where a lot of the energy companies are now having to switch into the biodiesel and Well, you um, know, when you and I were... Renewable. When you and I were growing up, you, we were at the tail end of what you could consider the, the blue-collar manufacturing jobs of America still NAFTA. around. NAFTA. NAFTA is really what did it. And I remember that, what was it, 93, 94, I think, when that happened. Oh, it was Clinton. Yeah. But um, but it had been in progress for years up until that point. Well, it started with uh, Richard Nixon opening the trade to China. Yeah, and I think I think the Reagan administration started the steps towards what eventually became NAFTA. But you just you know, growing up policy with with the trickle down. Yeah, yeah growing up with uh, the expectation that hey, I could get a decent job. And I could probably do it for the rest of my life and I could get a pension and I could, you know, that's been disappearing, obviously. And it's like oil and gas is just sort of the next in line. Coal mm-hmm. was, was last before that. I don't know. You know, steel probably. Well, it's interesting because, you know, not to get too existential here, although it is existential energy, um, is that, you know, this has been a problem that the United States has been trying to address for almost 20 years now that nobody's ever talked about, which is you have a very large population of thought workers okay Mm -hmm. they're called like white collar workers but there there's another term they're called thought workers they're people that use their mind okay they don't use their physical labor skills and Mm -hmm. that's why the manufacturing was shrinking so much is because so many people were getting college educated and etc to where it's almost like in order for us to not go back to our primal ways to kill each other (laughs) they need to figure out new le- levels of bureaucracy for yeah. the thought workers to stay busy. It, totally, man. Otherwise, that's, we're going to, you know, it's going to be anarchy. Yeah. Seriously, that's, 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 that's the only thing that keeps me from getting my pitchfork and going to town on some of these people. That's the only thing that keeps most of us from doing that. Is, and, and when you see things like, uh, you know, that, that have happened, you know, storms and stuff like that, Katrina, things that happened over the years, you could see how thin 
uh, civilization and society is. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very fragile Well, thing. that's a problem when you have too many thought workers yeah. is that you don't have anybody working anymore. And the well, people who are working are doing all the work, so they're overworked. And physically but overworked. If, if they're working good jobs... No, it has nothing to do right. with that. If they're, phys- if they're doing the physical work, sure. okay, they're actually doing this. Even if you're working the, the cashier... That's a, a physical, stressful labor. Yeah, you're job. on your feet. You're, you're dealing with your customers. Feet. You're on working. your feet. <laughs> Twice in one show. Come on. <laughs> make it happen. So on a happier note, I am packing my bags, man, because the world's first space hotel is to begin construction in low orbit in 2025, complete with restaurants, cinemas, and rooms for up to 400 guests. Now, can you imagine COVID bouncing around? in a totally sealed up environment. What news source is this from? This is from my favorite Daily Mail from the UK. This is one hell of a marketing piece for this hotel. I have not read Elon Musk's name yet, but I'm sure it's in here somewhere. doesn't matter. We associate it with it. But <laughs> Work is due to start on the world's first space hotel in 2025. It's developed by Orbital Assembly Corporation. And the media loves the future. Man, we, we, we love the future. We love to speculate and talk about the glitz and the glamour. Oh, that's hell yeah. Come. I still that's want my jetpack, man. That's all this story is. It has nothing to do with what happened yesterday. There's no reporting. This is all just what's well, going to come. Well, this is looking at the future. This that's is, what I mean. This is that... Something will be better in a couple of years. Not that any of us will ever be able to afford you or I to go up to this damn thing. This this is where magazines used to serve a role. This is like because this is something that this you would could never sit have... around for ten years. No, this could be in a magazine for ten years because it won't expire till when twenty thirty. Is that what they're talking about? They're talking about putting it up uh, by twenty twenty seven. Okay, so it's five years. Yeah. All right, so. All right, so let's talk about Space Hotel. Keep going. Space Hotel be a large circle and rotate to generate artificial gravity. Uh, that will be set at a similar level to the gravity found on the surface of the moon. So you get to bounce around a lot. The Voyager Station Hotel, that's the name, will include many of the features you might expect from a cruise ship. I really hope they do not just dump the poo out in space. Right. I hope they figure out a good recycling system for for the waste when it takes... How long does it take to go to Mars? Uh, six to seven months or so, yeah. So six months. You'll say you're in six months in a spaceship, right? Yeah. Like a cruise ship, right? You're going to the bathroom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are they Are they going to recycle that? Do I you want to get into that? Because yeah, you can reclaim water from urine. We saw Water World. We know what happened. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but yes, they can do that. And then the uh, I think the human waste is probably vacuum sealed and stored or ejected. Yeah. Not ejected. No, I don't, I don't want know. just poop floating out in outer space. space. Why Absolute, not, man? Because it might fall. It might fall. Everything's falling in space. A poop meteor? Absolutely <laughs> not. Would, I'm putting. You're my right, foot dude. That would down. be horrible. That would be a shit storm. Could you, <laughs> you imagine that meteor shower? You just got just oh, nuggets man. falling. Oh geez, now I can. Karma's I can, a yeah, bitch. it'll be like this flaming, stinky apocalypse so they've got these pretty pictures of pretty people sitting in what eventually will be the space station you know i'm getting a lot of hindenburg vibes off this thing it's a shitting star <laughs> you're still on that <laughs> well shitstorm was really good thank you thank that was you. really good thank I'm going, there's got to be another pun in there <laughs> yeah we're just keep digging shooting star shitting star we're that's there that's good that's, that's good what i mean that's it's good. a shitting star right. okay <laughs> oh man so yeah, there's some hope for it because of the reu- uh, reusable vehicles that uh, companies like SpaceX are using. 
And they're talking about building 24 different integrated habitation modules. I just got an email from Kevin Kramer today on that. Senator. On the space station? Yeah, and the SpaceX. What? Keep oh, going. SpaceX. I'm going to find oh, okay. it. Keep going. Yeah. I'm going to find it. Yeah. So what they're saying here is that they're going to have, some of it will be for the resort slash hotel. The rest of it will be privately owned and rented out to scientists, corporations, mad geniuses, and anybody else, I guess, that's got a lot of money and wants to go into space. Wow. So today. It's pretty cool, though. I got an email from Senator Kramer's office, and um, I got a couple of them. They were just kind of giving me a week in review what mm-hmm. they were doing. And last Friday, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, a Senate Armed Service Committee member, convened the first Senate Space Force Caucus Woo! event of this Congress. As one of the co-chairs of the caucus, oh, we got to bring him on and yeah. find out how much Musk money is really going on here. I want to know. Uh, okay, so he's got a quote here. Let's see what it says here. Foreign adversaries like Russia and China are actively using space to weaken the United States and prepare to carry out attacks against us. Why? To protect the safety and security of the American people, we have to properly counter that threat by bolstering our presence in this emerging domain. Now, I had heard a lot of what's going on in space now is going to be exploration for mining for batteries. That a lot of these uh, um, lithium media, and stuff meteorites like that. that are not made out of human shit, <laughs> those ones out there in space, <laughs> those non-shit meteorites. Right. Yep, they have like yeah, they have cobalt, lithium. These these high these rare minerals, yeah. rare earth minerals, are not so rare on meteors on the Bruce yeah, Willis the, Armageddon the, the, the asteroids floating around. Yep, yep. So they're going to find Michael Duncan Scott, right? Steve oh, Buscemi, man. he passed away. Who else? Not Steve Buscemi. Uh, ben Affleck, Will and uh, Owen Wilson, or Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, one of them. So they're trying to find that team yeah. of misfits, Ben Affleck. to go mine yeah. and get their drilling talk on. Dude, now see that stuff makes me. I love that kind of talk. I'm telling you, because asteroids, if man, that's true, minerals and stuff. But if that's true, mm-hmm. that there's going to be a whole new marketplace on asteroids. I think you would see people flood to that. Yeah, I think people would. Be all in. Be like, I want to be on that team. You know what? I'll take the trash out. You bet. Right. If yeah. I can do space exploration <laughs> and be a part of that, that's what I mean. If if it's actually opening up a whole new thing, and, and if Senator Senator Kramer's right, where it's happening, mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited for that. You know, we rely so much on GPS and all those other things to make our phones work that it's kind of scary to think about how vulnerable that stuff is up there. People are going to try to like tow these things. Well, you don't even have to. All you got to do is put something in its way. It's going to be like Futurama, you know, where <laughs> Fry and Bender, they pull up to an asteroid and they hook up the tow rope and try just, to bring it back. drag like it back, man. Yeah, like, you know, like it's a boat. <laughs> and that's what I mean. That's what... When, I, when, they, when they launched Space Force, I totally thought of Futurama. You know? <laughs> How can you it's, not? It's Planet Express delivery right there for you. <laughs> oh, we're way over on time, but that's okay because we are doing this live and it's meant to be that way, folks. We're having fun, but that's the news. Colorado State Senator coming up next. Oh, it's call, I should, should mention his name. Colorado State Senator John Cook. Because there's more than one. To Good find to out if Wyoming is going to absorb Weld County, Colorado, or if Weld County is going to succeed. Either way, Man. we need to find out what's going Imagine on. Imagine having to get a passport just to go to Weld County. <laughs> this is like one of the most important stories of our day. I'm looking at it like this. Like, I know. Are you totally you, serious? You're all in on this. 
If I live at a time where we have to redo a flag or we have to redo a map, that to me is pretty damn cool. Well, we're definitely living in history. I mean, it's pretty harmless, really. Uh, It's pretty harmless. It might actually be a solution. If one county says we're getting tired of this state's politics, Mm -hmm. it's really affecting our life. And this other state that's connected to us that we don't even have to really do anything different except change our address, I'm all for it. You know, it, the the bummer is is that it's so hard to have that conversation and, and have a real one, right? Now, what's going on in Well County might actually be like the start. <laughs> Governor Governor Mark Gard coming into Governor Jared Polis's office and saying, "Sorry, sir, but we'll be taking Well County yeah, home with us. We'll be taking that. Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> Colorado State Senator coming up next, folks. and becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band. Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by The Bach and Barbecue. In 2013, The Bach and Barbecue was created as a collaborative effort to raise money within the community. This family-friendly event raises money to help make a difference within the communities in the Bach and Shale Place. Since their first year, The Bach and Barbecue has not only achieved their goal annually, but it's added to the list of positive impacts within the Bakken. For more information, visit their website, BakkenBBQ.org. That's BakkenBBQ.org. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by Chewy Paws, all-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs, USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z.com. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Well, good day to you, friends and listeners. My name is Jenica, and we here today get to talk with Senator John Cook from Weld County, Colorado, formerly, oh, excuse me, formerly a sheriff of Weld County, Colorado as well. And uh, good day. How are you doing today, Senator? I'm doing great. Um, Beautiful day out here in Colorado. It's uh, over 60 degrees, and it's perfect out here. So doing well. Wish I was on the golf course, though. <laughs> right. What a nice change from last week, huh? Yes. <laughs> totally, totally uh, different than last week. Right. Almost feels like we shifted seasons, but can't get your hopes up this right. early. No, no. <laughs> Next week will be happening again soon, I, I fear. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, there's other things happening over in Weld County as well. Recently, uh, Weld County had gotten national attention for kind of a movement, not so much a new movement either. Uh, People talking about seceding from Colorado and into Wyoming. Uh, Have you you heard much about that? Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes, I've heard quite a bit about it, Uh, mostly down here at the Capitol from, um, you know, fellow uh, legislators. So, um, you know, they like to poke the bear a little bit and kind of give me a hard time about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I th- kind of, it seems like such an interesting topic. It definitely breaks up the uh, other more serious things going on in national news. Um, but, th- I mean, it, I, there are some people that are probably pretty serious about this. How serious do, does oh, it feel to you? Well, actually, there are, I think, uh, a lot of people that are serious about it. Um, the person, and I can't remember his name, but... Um, the person that started the uh, uh, the movement, so to speak, and uh, has a website, and I think a lot of people have signed on to support it. Um, last I heard, and it was a couple of weeks ago, I believe there were like 7,500 people um, uh, that have signed on to um, you know to petition basically the uh, the de-annexation of Colorado of Weld County and the uh, annexation into Wyoming. So there's been a lot of discussion on it. Now, is it is it set to be on the ballot this November? Then this idea? Well, well, um, there's still a little bit of confusion on how it, how it works. Um, I think the legislature here has to vote on it, and um, and then the legislature up in uh, Wyoming would have to approve it, and then it goes to Congress, who has the ultimate uh, and last say on it. So I don't know if it has to go to a ballot initiative or not, um, and I think maybe Weld County would have to um, probably has to hold a vote to say they would like to um, be part of Wyoming before it goes anywhere. So I, I don't know if it's it's not going to be on the state ballot this year that I know of, but who knows? Maybe the organizer can get something on uh, the local ballot. 
Well, I definitely had seen that uh, they were trying to put it on the state ballot. I, I could not recall if I'd seen any verification of whether it would be or not, just that there was a desire. But it's it is it's interesting to me because it's the first time that I had heard about it. But apparently uh, there this has been talked about now for 10 years or so. And then in 2013, there was something similar that had been proposed. Only uh, in 2013, it was several Colorado counties trying to form a new state in the 51st State Initiative. Uh, I mean, is this? Do you think this is kind of stemming from that, or I mean, how much, how much do you know about that? I guess. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was still a sheriff at that time, and um, up in Weld, and so I know quite a bit about uh, you know the fifty-first uh, state movement. Um, it was, I believe, well, it started in Weld County, and then I, I think a total of eleven counties um, wanted to become the fifty-first state. And it went to a vote of all those counties, and it actually failed in Weld County, but passed in, I think, four or five or six of the other counties. Um, so I think this is an offshoot, and I think there's a lot of people were saying at that time, well, hey, it doesn't make sense to become a 51st state. We ought to just be annexed into Wyoming. And I think that was kind of not made in jest, but, you know, it was said in a way that people said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why don't we do, try that instead? So I think this is an outgrowth of uh, the 51st state movement. See, and I, I feel like that would that kind of makes sense. It does make me question, though, uh, how long there have been kind of issues going on. I did see that in one statement it had been said that part of the reason for wanting to secede into Wyoming was because they felt like there were a number of things that Colorado was just not doing well for the residents anymore, including looking out for small businesses and looking out for the oil and gas industry. Um, right. does, how How does that how is that setting, I guess, right now? Um, well, that's, those statements are absolutely true. Uh, this state is ran by Denver and Boulder. And um, uh, like the you know, governor's from Boulder, the uh, majority leader in the Senate's from Boulder, um, the speaker of the, of the House um, was from Boulder but now lives in Denver. The only person in leadership in the, in the majority party, the Democrats, uh, is the Senate president, who's the uh, he's from Pueblo, but you know they they we've been talking about for years the war on rural Colorado down here, and um, the Democrats, the Denver Democrats, always kind of uh, would say no, there's no war on rural Colorado, but I think now they finally realize that um, there is, and they don't really care. Um, the, the this movement is coming out of what you said. I mean, the shutdown of small businesses. The, they're trying to kill oil and gas in the state. And as you know, Weld County is the largest oil and gas producer in the state. There's over 25,000 wells currently in Weld, more than all the other counties put together. And they're trying to kill uh, the second largest industry in the state. Um, so that's a big issue. Now they're going after agriculture. And Weld County is the largest agricultural producing county in the state. And we're number six or seven in the nation, the only one outside of California. So now they're going after ag, they're going after the dairy industry, the cattle industry. And uh, so they, uh, this movement is to say, look, Boulder and Denver do not represent our values. Wyoming does. And I believe that's why we see this movement um, going forward. Yeah, I can definitely understand uh, after hearing you explain that. I can certainly understand why there would be people very serious about this issue. Um, uh, being one, you know, the, the largest contributor to the oil and gas 
industry in uh, Colorado. I, I very much doubt that personally that the Colorado uh the state of Colorado would allow for the annexation uh, to, to, you know, to happen. However, that being said, I find it interesting, and I, I actually I'm curious. Do you think that this is more of a failure to understand Weld County by those who are representing the county, or or do you think this is more of an issue of underrepresentation? Kind of honestly sounds to me like a little bit of a mixture. But how did this how did this happen? Um. I guess um might have to clarify your question. How did uh, this movement start or? Oh, uh, no. I guess the situation itself. Um, Because it, it, it sounds to me oh. like there's, you know, you're underrepresented in Weld County, but also the people that are supposed to be representing. I mean, do you think it's a lack of understanding for how the county contributes and how it needs to be oh. in order to run properly or? No, I think they, they understand that. Um, they just don't care. Um you know, we have three senators that represent Weld County, and uh, my district is solely in Weld County. The other two have portions. Well, Jerry Sonnenberg represents from the Kansas line to about two miles outside of Greeley, and uh, another senator represents the west side of uh, Weld County. So we have three senators because um, our population now is like 325,000. So um, uh, we have representation down here. The problem is the Democrats control the majority, and um, – we we tried to explain to them what oil and gas does for this state uh, back when they passed Senate Bill 181. Um, we said look, we told uh, how much money oil and gas contributes to the school system, the state taxes, the jobs, um, high paying jobs here, and they um, they just don't care or they don't believe it, and so they uh, they just turned their back on Weld County. And I, I have to be honest with you, I think they hate Weld County. And so um, I think they hate our oil and gas. I, they hate our conservative stance on our, you know, freedom of uh, the Second Amendment, our gun rights. Um, they don't like the fact that, you know, we produce uh, a lot of agriculture in the state. So uh, they just turned their backs on Weld County. And what uh, since they hate us, I would think that the Denver Democrats, Denver and Boulder Democrats, would be glad to get rid of us. And uh, if we bring it in something to the legislature or we vote on it, I think they would be say, great, go away. We don't like you guys. And the conservative Republicans would say, hey, this is self-determination. If they want to if they want to leave the state and join Wyoming, um, you know, more liberty and power to them. Well, see, and that's that's what I, you know, would expect if what you're saying is true about, you know, their sentiments. then yeah, that would absolutely make sense. Uh, based on the statements made by uh, Colorado Governor Polis, it, he doesn't seem to agree. He, he seems to think that Weld County is very happy being a part of Colorado and that there's no reason to consider this seriously. Well, you know, it's funny because when 181 was going on a couple years ago, um, I'm in leadership, and so the the myself and the three other members of the leadership from the House and the Senate um, were talking with the governor, and and I asked him straight out. I asked him why he hates Weld County, and um, and of course he said, "Oh no, I don't hate Weld County." And I said, "Well, why are you trying to destroy it then?" And um, he he made that the comment, "Yeah, that people in Weld County are happy." Well, he's burying his head in the sand just like an ostrich. People are not happy in Weld County about what's going on down here. Um, he also told the Wyoming governor, because the Wyoming governor said, yeah, they'd love to have us up there. Um, and so he told the Wyoming governor to keep his hands off of Weld County. So I, I, I put that. out a statement. 
Yeah, I, I put out a statement saying, you know, Governor Polis, take your own advice and you keep your hands off of Weld County. Um, and so he, he he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, well, his actions speak louder than his words. His actions are, let's destroy Weld County. But his words are, oh, no, people up there are happy. Well, they're not. If, if, um, if for this movement to uh, get a jump start, people, you'd have to know people are not happy up there with what's going on. So I guess, how viable do you think this would be as an option? Uh, do you, because I know I said earlier that it didn't appear to me that, you know, it would be terribly likely that the state would allow it. But how, with with the seriousness um, and, and the pressure from the public in Weld County, do you think that something could actually eventually happen from this? Um, you know, possibly. I've learned never to say no. Um, but I think... The biggest hurdle might be, um, you know, in Congress to uh, to have Congress go ahead and, and agree to the new boundaries. Um, you know, I think it, it's it's possible. Is it probable? Yeah, probably not. I don't know if um, a statewide election would uh, people would say yes to Weld County moving to Wyoming. So it's possible, but I'm not sure it's probable. Well, they'd be losing out on quite a bit uh, if if all 324,000 people and all of the wonderful things going on in Weld County were then to become a part of Wyoming. So that was kind of why I was thinking that the chances were rather slim. But uh, in the meantime, um, while I mean, while I, I guess this is probably something that we'll probably continue hearing about here and there until something hopefully happens of it, you know, one way or another. But in the meantime, do you see much option for moving forward to help some of these issues in other ways? What have what have you got going on to kind of combat the what seems to be a stifling? Yeah, you know, um, I'm. That's a great question because, you know, when you're in the minority, you can't do anything. Um, So with the Democrats in control of the House, the Senate, and the governorship, there's not a lot that we can do. Um, I believe there's going to be more anti-oil and gas bills coming um, uh, this session. I have heard that they want to take away the tax credit and add the Lauren tax. Um, And if that happens, then I think we'll see a lot of major players just up and moving. Um, and it'll probably destroy a lot of the small operators here in the state. Um, we just don't have, uh, you know, any way of stopping them. That's why when people ask me or they tell me I don't vote for the uh, the party, I vote for the person, I always say that's the wrong answer because majorities matter. If you're in the minority, you get run uh, roughshod over. So there's not a lot that we can do other than play defense at this point. What about on a, on an individual level? Is there anything that the constituents could do to maybe uh, try and protect what they've got going on and or maybe to help try and untie the hands of those representing them? Is there something that can be done there? Um, well, the only way that would happen is if those individuals collectively get together and make their voices heard, not to the people that represent Weld County, but to um, their legislators in, in other parts of the state, um, mostly Denver and Boulder. So that's about the only way individually they, uh, they can do anything to make it easier. So, well, oh my goodness, it's just such an interesting topic. This would actually be a pretty yeah. big deal, too. 324,000 individuals in Weld County would... Uh, 
almost 60%, bring in almost 60% uh, more population to Wyoming than what it already has. So right. this would be... Right. That's why I was a little surprised about the governor's cop because I was telling people I doubt Wyoming would want us because the, of the power shift. You know, um, you know, Wyoming is a population of about five hundred thousand. Greeley would automatically become the largest city, and um, you know, Weld County would uh, yeah, it was like three hundred twenty-four, three hundred twenty-five thousand um, would almost double the population of Wyoming. Although there would be benefits too because they'd get another congress uh, congressperson. And um, so there'd be a little bit of benefit for them on that. And then plus, you know, all the, the money and revenue that the Weld County generates um, would be obviously beneficial to uh, Wyoming. Oh, absolutely. Especially right now, since uh, so much has already been cut from the budget based on the changes that have already gone into effect. So that would I'm right. sure that they would welcome everything that Weld County had to offer. And well, that that is what Governor Mark Gordon said, too, didn't he? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had such a good question, and it just completely ran <laughs> out of my brain. <laughs> well, that's too bad, because I'm sure I had a great answer. Oh, I bet you did. It's been, <laughs> it's been wonderful talking with you. I, is, there, is there any kind of uh, something interesting or, or piece of information you think about this topic that, that people should be, you know, hearing about or... Well, I, I just think it's the, it, and I call it a movement. I don't know if that's an accurate term or not, but um, I think it's um, gaining more popularity every day. Um, and so I think more people are interested in the possibility, but um, I, that's really, uh, you know, about it for that I can think of right now. So this really will be something to keep an eye on. I laughed when I saw the story initially, but no, it sounds... Sounds pretty serious. I will be keeping an eye out for it, for sure. And uh, maybe I'll get to talk with you about it some other time when we've seen something big happen from this movement, I guess I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll be glad to talk about it anytime. I very much enjoyed this conversation. So thank you. Me too. You have a wonderful rest of your day then, and I won't uh, take up any more of your time. Okay. You have a great day, too. Thank you. Uh, uh-huh. Bye-bye. Now, if you liked the information that you heard, make sure to check out the rest of what WhatTheCrewLife.com has to offer. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at TheCrudeLife.com. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Life.
with Jason Spies. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy whose you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. Mark Gordon's doing a great job in Wyoming, so always shout out to uh, Mark. But I want to say here with our Energy and Environmental Research Center at the University of North Dakota and the private-public partnerships we're doing through one project called Project Tundra, we've actually got the largest-scale carbon sequestration program in the country. We've already got uh, pipelines where we're, you know, we're exporting carbon from North Dakota up to Canada that they use in enhanced oil recovery up there in Alberta and their oil fields. And so we're we're well on our well on our way. But again, uh, you know, the federal government's you know, sitting on the sidelines right now on this. And like I said, they're spending tens of billions of dollars providing tax breaks for intermittent power sources, which are you know, part of the issue we have with this grid instability, and they're spending almost nothing supporting the uh, innovation around around how do we actually, you know, uh, come up with solutions for a carbon-constrained future, and how do we turn carbon into a value-added input versus this the disparagement that it's being getting right now. Well, I think it's uh, all of the above. I think we have to continue to, you know, the industry and government and different associations everybody's got to continue to educate people so we've got a broader understanding but we also again have to uh, at the the state level and working with our congressional delegation we got to continue to push back on federal policy which is not really driven really more by ideology than it's driven by you know the practical solutions we need to move forward in the decades ahead and so i think it's going to be uh, take both of those things both education and and firm uh, political action uh, because the impacts are so severe, both on, on on states and on jobs and on the private sector and on communities, that uh, you are going to see action. I know that uh, the uh, attorney generals from multiple states are in conversation with each other, uh, you know, exploring different avenues. I know that certainly the governors, I've talked to at least a dozen uh, other uh, governors myself in the last uh, few weeks. To listen to the full-length interview with North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. 
While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com.